G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Good evening, gents. Good evening, Jono. And lady. Good good evening, Ian, and good evening, Gemma. That was a little bit awkward, but anyway, we got through it. I'll be one of them. So, thanks for joining us again, Gemma. Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about Finland, which I'm a little bit, this is a sore point, but I'm okay to be the butt of jokes. But before we do that, we'd like to say firstly that you are our first return guest. So, yeah, I yeah. just realised that. Mm. So, thank you for coming back. Um, uh, obviously, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't do it too bad a job next time, last time. So, thanks for coming back. And as always, before we open, go or move into the conversation, um, do you want to do a round of traps about news, interesting stuff, and otherwise, guys? Oh, that would. Um suggest I've been paying attention to the news. I don't want to talk about the news, no, actually. News. It's been no, no, disastrous no. news <laughs> News in Queensland you. recently. Yes. You, news for you, not, not, not more, not oh, more broad. Very exciting news on, uh, on, uh, the, on, the, on the Hurley Ranch. Um, we've now moved into livestock production, which actually means that I've um, we uh, added on some land to our property, and uh, I've been madly fencing to get it ready for stock to come on and when I say stock I mean I went and purchased 10 new Dorper made in use and they've arrived they're the first of the first 10 and probably 50 that I'll get in the next little while and they haven't escaped yet <laughs> it's, it's very nerve-wracking they're just out here in the paddock next to me I can hear them I was able to hear them but uh, I'm trialing a new fencing scenario that doesn't have mesh fencing it's all electric and i'm i'm nervous but it's anyway, all electric so oh wow it's all electric yeah so it's all just high tensile electric with a kick-ass earthing system <laughs> which means that if anything touches it it'll likely fry its wool off um but it won't die but it will learn anyway <laughs> it won't a, die. My, my dog jumped higher than my head when it hit the fence the other day. <laughs> anyway, it's um, it's under control, but it's an exciting day. They came in yesterday, and they're still here. They haven't run away. Wow. Mm. Nice. It's all I've got. It's all that's mattered for me in the last little while. Oh, okay. Well, that's, a, that's an exciting news. Mm. Uh, anyway. Gemma, anything to add? Anything exciting happening with you or news, views? Um. No, no. I mean, we had our work Christmas party today, so that was fun. Christmas lunch. Um, and yeah, just wrapping up the year with lots of different things. Um, we had a fair few try shooting events recently. Mm. Um, yeah, so I spent about five days at home 
in September and another 10 maybe in October. So busy last few months since I saw you guys last. But no, just looking forward to Christmas really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that mostly with the try shooting events and, and things like that? Yeah, they were all work-related trips. Um, so when I saw you, Mark, in Queensland, yeah, that was the month where I had spent five days at home. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just, just really busy, lots lots of different things going on, which was nice because we obviously were in lockdown for a while, so it's nice to get out and about, but maybe not all at once. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, you're, you're in Sydney. Mm-hmm. But your main office is in uh, South Australia, is that right? Yeah, so SSA have two offices. So our membership and merchandise office is in Sydney. And um, our main office and head of publications and everything is all over in Adelaide. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you had the Sydney office party? Uh, yes, yeah. Just There we go. Just with the ladies there, the lovely ladies who answer all our membership questions and all the phones. Um they work really hard and they're a great bunch of gals. So, yeah, we had a nice lunch. Cool. That's good. John? Uh, for myself, I spent the weekend camping with the family. We went up to a, uh, a property uh, about two hours, I guess, from Brisbane. Um, and I spent it with a herd of about 20 or 30 fallow deer um, that you couldn't shoot, um, that were the, the park pets, I guess. And my children got to feed them and play with them, scratch their ears and backs. And, and it just shows that you don't have to always hunt deer. It's always good to spend some time with them. Although I must say I was, uh, eyeing a couple of them. (laughs) Starting to twitch. But I had to control myself because it was a a family trip, but it was very enjoyable. It was a lovely place. Um, and it just shows that, yeah, we can go out and appreciate nature and not always kill something. So, um, yeah, it was a very enjoyable weekend. I find that I, though I do start to, think about shop placement. I did absolutely. Oh, that, one, that one's gone, yeah, yeah. that one's not. Oh, look at that one broadside. I was doing that, I, absolutely. I find I'm more like the wily coyote, right, that pictures the animal in its dressed-out sense. You know, that's the that's what oh, the rock would look it, like. And I see it as meat that needs mm. to be, you know, portioned yeah. up, you know. Like, oh. No, I always <laughs> think shop placement, I go, put a standing quartering like yeah. that, and I was over there. That's, I was the same. <laughs> They kind of, I think, that's the angle there. Mm. That's what I did. They did have a, a couple of goats as well, uh, very cheeky goats. So um, mm. I know I like I like hunting goats, but it was good. They were got quite personalities on them, um, and some really really big pigs. I mean, huge like pigs. Obviously, the uh, the campers there, uh, you can feed them your food scraps whenever you want. Um, so they clearly are well fed. Put that way, um, you get a yeah. lot of bacon off, uh, off those pigs. That's for sure. Mm. Were they uh, wild pigs or weren't they? No, so they're domestic breeds. Um, okay. And except for the, the female, which is half domestic, half um, feral pig, and you can see the colours. Mm. It's got the spots on it um, we're, we're used to seeing. Um, but she was far smaller than the others, um, and she's the mum, but the dad is – Spud was his name. He was huge. <laughs> Guess what he eats. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say. <laughs> I started up a place at uh, Quilpy, and they had a uh, – a pig, but that was one they caught, and they basically stuck it in the pen, and they were going to eat it eventually. But so, they, and they encouraged everyone to feed the scraps to it, and it was it was big, mm. so big, and it was, but they were basically trying to thin it down and clean it up so they can, you know, 
So for me, um, latest thing that I've got was I got the uh, multimedia pack, which is basically the microphone for my GoPro 8, and I've been experimenting with that. And, in fact, I took some still photography with it today for an article for SSAA because I wanted to do some wide-angle stuff, so I used, you know, provides a really good fisheye. The one problem I found that I've realised that I have with the GoPros is that I tend to put my big thumb on the lens like that when I pick them up, and then I take a photo, and, or 10, and then I come and put it on the computer and every photo's blurred in my corner because it's a big camera. <laughs> so I have to be very, very careful that I clean that lens every time I use it. Oh, it's it the thumbprint that is the problem. It's not your thumb there when you're taking the picture. No, no, I, what I do is I'm, I'm holding it like that or I'm doing something like that and I put my thumb on the lens and then, I, and then it's just blurry. And then I'm hmm. taking photos and, of course, I can't see with the tiny screen or I can see good enough. I'm going, oh, well, that's really great. Look, wide angle. Getting me on the computer. Oh, look at that. They've all got this blur line in them. So, but other than that, the, the, the actual media pack works really well. It now provides a really good mic for the GoPro and I've figured out how to wear it on my bino harness so i'm looking forward to getting some field time to see that works but at the moment i'm spending all my time at the range um just get my rifles ready for next year nice so that's about it for me okay let's dive straight in so should we start with the story about finland <laughs> Gemma? It's really up to you. <laughs> well, it's a brag okay. story. It's a brag story I've heard. So <laughs> just, just do it. So let, let's give it context. I got invited to go to Finland, but I couldn't go. And the reason that I was invited to Finland, not because just some Finnish people just put, picked my name out of the hat, it was for the uh, Seiko 100 launch, or the international Seiko 100 launch. So Seiko bring out the new rifle, the replacement to the 85, the 100, and they had the, the worldwide launch of the rifle. And the invitation to Finland was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gemma, was uh, go to Finland, go on a moose hunt, go on a white-tailed deer hunt, do a factory tour and go to dinner and a few other things. Is that about right? Yeah. That sounds terrible. That sounds it like was. a dreadful time. It was surely a horrible event. Why did you turn it down, Mark? Because we just come out of the territory. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I'm probably stretching the friendship by saying, hey, I know, I've just come back from nine days in the territory, but now I'm off to Finland. So I wasn't able to go, but I understand that, uh, well, I know Gemma went, but also I understand there was quite an Aussie contingent. So let's throw it over to you, Gemma. Mm. Yeah. So, um, obviously, when Mark couldn't go, um, Sammy, the marketing manager from Beretta Australia, she had asked Scott Allen, the sales manager, who else he reckons would be good. And because Mark and I had done a rifle build together, naturally, Scott had gone, oh, what about Gemma? See, see if she wants to go. So, yeah, I only got the call, I think it was like two and a half weeks, three weeks before we were going. So, it was lucky I still had a valid passport, at least. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was it was a factory tour of both the rifle and ammunition factories um, at Rihimaki up in up you know an hour north of Helsinki in Finland, and so we did that. Um, it was it was a press and media event more than anything. So there were uh, 
eight or nine people from the US, five or six from Canada, um, three Kiwis, and from the media and press side of things, it was myself and Hannah Grimmitz from Wild Deer Magazine. Um, and then a lot of um, the international Beretta conglomerate staff were also there, um, which meant we had two people from Beretta Australia come as well. So, yeah, all up there was about 30 people. Um, and, yeah, so we had a, a press event uh, which covered, yes, a, a lot of details about Safer 100, um, some of their information about their new blade ammunition, uh, their full copper projectiles and all of that sort of stuff. Um, the, yeah, so we got to touch and feel the new product and learn all about it. And then we're also learning about, you know, market segments and, and how the Seiko brand is working internationally and what their goals and everything are moving forward with their new um, new products. So that was really good. And then, yeah, the, the next day we were up bright and early on a bus up north to the factory. Um, sorry, just before the factory, we did a, we got to do product testing. So shoot the new rifle. Uh, we had the S20 as well there. And um, yeah, so each of us got allocated a rifle for the, for the week. It was our rifle. We were only really allowed to shoot that rifle based on like finish firearms laws and stuff um mm. and yeah but we got to you know play with some other rifles like whilst we're at the range and uh, we then had to do our moose licensing test so that consists it used to be about four, four or five years ago it used to be a moving target um a moving moose um but they changed it and it's just four shots in a minute 20 on a stationary moose and just making sure that you're you can do that, which everybody passed. <laughs> you, you shouldn't pass that. I mean, I'm a shotgun shooter, and I, you know, I mean, I shoot a bit of rifle too, but yeah, I was, um, I was pretty happy that we passed. And Sammy, actually, from Bread Australia, she had never even shot, and her first time shooting was with an S20 in Finland. Um, mm. <laughs> and so it was really cool. It was a cool moment. I got to teach her you know, the basics of it all. And, and then she went and did her moose licensing test and, and passed. So it's pretty, pretty straightforward. We're all still fairly nervous, though. There was some... Oh, yeah. Injury. Oh, yeah, I imagine. Nervous. You know, we didn't want to stuff up. <laughs> but you imagine being the only one in the group that didn't, didn't pass. Didn't pass. Yeah. 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 And I was really nervous about that because I was, like, you know, the only, one of the only girls and... Um, definitely the youngest one as well of anything. And, um, yeah, so it was, everyone was really, like, the camaraderie amongst the group was really good. Everybody helped me out. But, yeah, I was a bit nervous going, up. Oh, you can't come all this way and stop the test up. <laughs> was everyone crowding around while people were doing their tests too? Yes. Or, um, Cam- yeah, right. Cameras. So you had, a, you had the audience. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Joy. And and we're talking about a bunch of influencers and media people um, yeah. from all over the world. So, yeah, everyone had cameras in your face. I had um, uh, TJ Swanky from Outdoor Quest TV. He's he's. Uh, That's a name, isn't it? TJ Swanky. TJ Swanky. I know. He was a <laughs> lovely man, and he literally, as soon as I finished my test, he was in my face with a camera, 
and asking me, you know, how it was. And I have a photo from that moment, so it was really cool. But yeah, so we all passed that. That was good. Got to have a bit of fun. And then after that, we went um, to the factories and did a tour and got a lot of more, lot more information about the new products and things. And yeah, it was awesome. It was such a cool place to go, particularly, you know, attending a firearms, you know, manufacturing factory in Europe when, you know, there's obviously history with, with wars and different mm. pieces going on as well. And what's happening over there in Ukraine at the moment was obviously forefront in everybody's mind and in how to secure operations if anything went awry or, or stuff like that. So it was a really interesting kind of take on it that you don't really get in Australia because we're so far removed from mm. those sorts of events, um, mm. which was cool. So they actually um, are expanding the factory. You know, it, they can't keep up with production like like everything. Um, we weren't allowed to take any photos or anything, obviously, whilst we are in the factory, but it was just... It was just awesome seeing like mounds of projectiles and brass and every, and powder and everything that we can't get our hands on over here in the <laughs> and you can literally just scoop it up in your hands and yeah so it was um it was a really cool really cool experience and it was nice to see that there was a lot of automation a lot of robotics um involved now but then there's you know a lot of staff still working there that have been there for a long time doing quality control and you know they're testing and all of that stuff before they send the rifles out for sale. So mm. that was cool. But, yeah, the big one and the thing that I was most nervous about was obviously the moose hunt. Um, I've never even seen a moose before, let alone fired a shot at one. And I was a bit conflicted about the idea of shooting a moose. I'm not going to lie. Um, and it was it's really funny, actually, because I was talking to my fiance michael and and he um mark knows this but he got it he he works for a, another wholesaler and he got an op opportunity to go and do the similar thing with norma um at around the same time but that trip fell through because norma's now been acquired by beretta international um and but when his trip came up he was conflicted about the idea of shooting moose and so i was telling him no you know you know, controlled environment, it's something that's very common over there. It's no different to, you know, pest control with how we do with kangaroos and pigs and which, you know, he and really? I both done. Mm. Um <laughs> Is it really is it really pest control? Well, for deer it is pest control it's the white tail deer. Moose is obviously harvested, so um it's a really huge staple of their diet. Mm. Um mm. you you eat moose everywhere over there. And so, you know, we've we both knew that um, what we were going to shoot was going to be harvested. So I was, you know, we were just having that conversation as some, as a couple that haven't really done a lot of hunting. Um, and he, you know, was like, okay, of course you're right, no problem. And then it was really funny because role reversal, like three weeks later, I'm having the same conversation <laughs> with him about being conflicted about shooting moose. And he literally had to regurgitate everything I said back to me. <laughs> And so, yeah, what a bizarre was, couple. Yeah, it's awesome. Remember that time we spoke about shooting moose? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so many stories. We won't go down that. Um, but yeah, so I was really conflicted. But the main goal I had was um, 
I, you know, if I did take a shot at one, that I wanted it to be a really good shot, and I wanted, you know, to follow all the rules, and, and but also just be a good shot and a humane hunter, um, particularly on a moose, you know, because they're such an iconic animal. And mm. it was really, really important to me that, you know, if I did take a shot at one, it had to be a really good shot and I had to be calm and comfortable and, and you know, happy with that shot. So, um, but at the end of the day, I was just happy to see one, to be honest. Um, and so, yeah, we got up early in the morning. Uh, we all went to bed fairly, fairly early that night. I won't say the same for the previous three nights. Um, but that night we went to bed nice and early and, uh, got up and it was minus one at eight o'clock in the morning still. And this is still autumn. Like we're not, we're not even talking winter. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was pretty chilly and we drove in it. We, we didn't really have much information from... Sarko, they call it in in Finland or Seiko here. Um, yeah, they didn't really give us much information on the hunt, so we we knew that we were allowed to shoot moose, but we didn't know if there was anything else on the cards. So when we got there, we went to the the hunting club, and there was all of the guides and their dogs because it was a driven hunt with dogs. Mm. That's something I'd never experienced either. Um, so it was all. I was way out of my depth, I'll be honest. <laughs> and so, yeah, the hunt master in his very broken English is laying down the law of what you can and can't shoot and, you know, how best to approach, you know, whether the animal's broadside or, or whatever, you know, whatever situation. And he also touched on the driven hunt with the dogs and how to, you know, do the right thing by that. But... Once he got to what animals we were allowed to shoot, he had obviously said we were allowed to shoot moose, whether it be calf, cow, or bull, didn't matter. Um, but the rules, obviously, if you have a, a cow with a calf, you have to shoot the calf first, mm-hmm. um, and then you can take a shot at the cow if you know you wish. But if there's a cow and a calf, you have to shoot the calf. Um, obviously, bull moose is fine. And then we're and then we were told we we're allowed to shoot white-tailed deer, and that didn't matter whether it was, you know, male, female, young, whatever, because they're a pest over there. Um, and then we we're also allowed to shoot roe deer, but it had to be a buck and fallow, but it had to be a buck um, and foxes if we saw one. Bearing in mind we're all shooting three hundred eight, three hundreds, three three eight, so shooting a fox is a little bit comical mm-hmm. at that, but. We didn't even see one, so that's fine. But I'm standing there at the end of the line shooting bricks. <laughs> because I've, I've never been in a driven hunt. I've just been plopped in this foreign land. Um, and I'm trying to remember what I can and can't shoot and when and how and, you know, all of these things. And then they say to you, if you want to shoot with a, with a partner, if you want to go with a partner, you can. And I was conflicted about that because... I thought we still had one of the guides with us, um, and I didn't want to partner up with another shooter. I was, you know, so I was like, no, if there's another guide there, I'm fine. It's not a problem. Turns out there's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they literally load you up in a van, and well, you you get a number, and it's a random drawer and whatever of the first dance. So there's three drives for the day, um, and we go for the first drive and. I get everybody else's stand was 
kind of close to the road. You could see it from the road. And I'm second last to get out of the van. And I get out of the van and there's a dog man waiting there. That's what they called him, the dog master, whatever. You um, and he's just gone, okay, follow me. And we're going like, I don't know, like 500 meters into the bush. <laughs> and I couldn't, I still couldn't see my stand. And he's just says two words to me, like typical Finnish people do. They don't speak much. Um, and then just says, okay, you're here. Moose come from there. Have fun. And then he goes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I've got my, I've got my new Psycho 100 that I learned to shoot yesterday, which has a lot of new features, mind you. And a bag of, like, a, a box of ammo, and I'm, I'm in the middle of this forest, and I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I climb up on my stand, and it's freezing. Um, and so I'm just kind of, you know, I set up. We have a radio for, you know, to get, speak to the hunt master. Anyway, so I set up, and I'm just kind of sitting there. And I'm just like, oh, if I just see something, I'm, I'll be fine. I'm just kind of sitting there, watching around. And I kind of hear something from the left, and one of the dogs runs through. I can see it running through, and they're all barking. And and you can hear shots off in the background, and, and Harness, the other Aussie, he was shooting deer left, right, and south. <laughs> like, he came over the radio three times in a row, basically. Um, and you couldn't hear anyone else. And anyway, so I'm just sort of sitting there. And then I kind of think to myself, oh, I've, I've got to try and remember all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to re- recall the best shot placement on the moose in case I see one. And all these things. And while I'm doing that, I'm kind of looking down and around. And then I hear something to my left again. And as I'm kind of scanning left, uh, sorry, to my right, as I'm scanning right, I move to my left and come back to where the dog man had said the moose will come from. And there's this giant grey cow moose just standing there, like 30 metres away, and thick scrub, like forest, and I didn't even hear it come. Like, they're a massive wow. animal. I didn't even hear it. So I'm scanning to my left, and there it is, and I'm going, well, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And on the 100s there's um a new push mechanism on the back of the bolt that engages the firing pin it's not like anything we've seen before in other rifle brands it's a whole new system but it's really cool because you don't actually have to like cock the bolt you it's already down and ready to go but the rifle won't fire when the back of the mechanism is out so it reduces the amount of noise you make basically um as well as safety features and so i'm pressing the back of the bolt in and it makes the click and the moose just like looks straight at me and i've gone okay and it saw me and it starts running towards me basically and like i said it's only 30 meters away so it's it's gone pretty fast and i'm like it all just happened so quickly i'm trying to see if it's got, you know, if it's a buck or a cow and if it's got a calf behind it and all of, trying to follow all these rules. Whilst the thing's running at me, they can move to mm. hell. And I've got my scope on three power and it's still not maxed out. Like, 
out enough. Like the thing was that close. <laughs> and lucky I am a shotgun shooter because it was literally like shooting a rabbit off a high stand <laughs> with a shotgun. And I just sort of moved and I was I was like fluid and, and smooth and calm. And I, you know, lined lined it up behind the, the back of the shoulder and um, shot. And I pulled the shot and. And then as I was swinging, the rifle hit the stand, so I didn't, like, I was, in, the shot was interrupted, but I'd already, already fired at that point. And the moose had jumped quite high and then just, like, kept running, but picked up more pace. And I wasn't sure whether, because it all happened so quickly, like, I was sure of my shot when I was looking through the scope, and I, like I said, I wouldn't have taken it if I wasn't sure, but... Once it all happened, the second guessing started happening. Mm. The moose yeah. ran mm. off and it jumped. And I don't know how they behave when you shoot one. I've never seen one, let alone quite a short one. So um, I had to go on the radio and say, stand six, cow moose, um, shot, single shot, not sure if um, confirmed. And the, the hunt master comes up on the radio and says, okay, the dog man will come and, and look at it. And so I had to direct him, and he went off, and he was, it felt like an hour before he came back. I, my, you know, my heart was in my ears, and I was, and then I started stressing. I've gone, oh, I've just ruined it. I've just done exactly what I didn't want to do. I've just injured the animal, and I, you know, and I started just going in a bit of a spiral um, of all the things that could have gone wrong. And the dog man sort of starts making his way back, and he's real stoic. He doesn't give me any indication of whether he's found it, let alone what state it's in. And um, and then he gets to the very bottom of my stand, because I'm not allowed to leave it. And he gets to the very bottom, and then he has this huge smile and shakes my hand. <laughs> and I've gone, oh, I got it. <laughs> and he's like, and he said, yes, you know, very good shot, like one shot. Um, and I was only shooting a throw away, so it was lucky that the moose was close. Wow. Um, and, yeah, he's a like, very good shot. It didn't run very far, like, great job. And I'm going, oh, my God. And then all the emotion just hit me, like all the adrenaline and mm. everything just straight out through my system, and I started crying. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I've just shot a moose in Finland. Like, what? And then I remembered I had to go back on the radio and tell the Huntmaster the outcome. And so I, I did, and I was still a bit shaky. And then he comes back on the radio and he goes, okay, congratulations, first moose of the day. Uh, well done. And I just went back on the radio and I'm like in tears at this point And I just go, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and like the whole group can hear my radio call. And apparently, like, you ask anyone on the trip, they said that was a highlight of their day, hearing my <laughs> single thanks, you know, they could hear the emotion in my voice. So, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a big moment. Um, and, but the frustrating thing was I couldn't go and see the moon, mm. like, because the drive was still happening. So we had to wait. Um, but the really cool thing was, like, not two minutes later, where I'd originally heard the sound from my, over my right shoulder, a cow moose and a calf moose just come trundling through and they're even closer and you know I was well within my right to take another shot at, at those animals but I didn't I wanted to sit there and I just sat there and filmed them and and just watched them and enjoyed the moment instead um which was awesome what, what an amazing so, story mm. yeah what a, what a really amazing story it's <laughs> 
It, Unreal. It, it was just uncanny. Like, the two Aussies in the morning, the first ride, were the only ones that were, like, successful in anything. Um, but, yeah, it was really cool. And turns out, you know, it was lucky I didn't take the shot on those two moves that came through after because there was a limit of three moves for the day. So, oh. <laughs> and we didn't know yeah. this until the three moves for the day were taken. Mm. Could you imagine if I had just gone and got a three? Mm. Three. three. Oh well, but it's really interesting because I, I mean, I've not heard the story. I don't know if any of the other guys have heard the story. I've not, I've not heard your story, and uh, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be right to the end, <laughs> no, of that, so which was, which was, which was awesome. So, well done. That's that's yeah. awesome. What an experience. It was really cool, and that was just the first drive, and and, and it was cool because the drive had finished, and I had to find my way back to the road. Remember, it was like half a K in the bush and nobody was there to take me back to the road and I was lucky I had some sort of general awareness. Um, so I found my way back to the road and then Clemente from Beretta Australia, Sammy from Beretta, um, Bruce from Seiko, the hunt the, the hunt master and one of the other guys, Joe from America, Beretta USA, they all just ran up to me and gave me a massive group hug. <laughs> and... <laughs> And congratulations, and, and there's, like, photos of that. And then they were all like, can we go and see it? So we went and saw it. And as soon as I saw it, again, I just burst into tears. I was like, oh, my God, like, this is a huge animal. And um, I was I was proud that it was a single shot. You know, I'd done well. That's exactly what I wanted to do. But I was also, yeah, I was emotional that I'd, you know, taken this animal's life. And, um, but... It was good to know that it was a good shot and it was being harvested, you know, straight away for for dinner that night, basically. Mm. So, um, yeah, that that yes. was just the first drive, and I I you know hadn't seen and I saw six moose in total that day, and some other groups didn't see any animals at all. Well, um, well. and I also took a white-tailed buck um, in the last drive. It was the last buck of the day as well, so. <laughs> That was my first deer I've ever shot as well. So I got wow. oh, wow. first okay. deer in a day. <laughs> I was about to ask you that question because you said that you're fairly new to hunting as a couple, but had you shot? And I mean, the emotions that you're talking about are pretty, um, well, I'm not going to say typical, but, you know, a moose is a, is a different thing <laughs> compared to, you know, potentially taking your first deer. But, you know, taking lots of people hunting and, and being with people when they take their first animals, those raw emotions come up a lot. Mm. Like they, yeah. you know, uh, there's a couple of guys at the moment that we've been working with to get out and get their first deer. They're actually out in a state forest uh, as we speak, and I've been messaging them over the last couple of days. And I had a pre-session um, with them to talk about what they were going to bump into and what it was all going to be like and what the terrain and all that sort of stuff. It's just sort of some coaching stuff that we all tend to do when we've got listeners that are asking. And... Um, he um, he only recently took up hunting, and uh, he shot a couple of goats. And I said, mate, when when that first deer stands in front of you, you're going to be a gibbering mess. But you're <laughs> yeah. going to be shaking. Yep. You know, it's not the same. Um, looking at a moose, I think wow. it's going to be that step yeah. again. So to pull that shot off, you said <laughs> it was running or it moving. Was running full bloody hell! Like, yeah. Bloody hell! Uh, and like I said, thank the heavens, I am a shotgun shooter. Mm. I'm used to mm. shooting at targets. Yeah. And I was in the moment as soon as I was going to pull the trigger, I knew the shot was a good shot, um, even though it was running. Um, 
Which is really satisfying to say because, like I said, that was the main goal of mine is to make sure the shop was good. I didn't want to just go there and wing the animal and have to chase it for hours. And like, that's just that was my worst nightmare. So, um, yeah, it was. It just all kind of it was surreal. Um, and I mean, the, the the buck that I got at the end of the day is a whole nother story in itself. Um, which which was also really cool. So during the day we were rotated around to these different stands and the first stand was a really enclosed close forest dense forest environment and the second stand I had was on the side of a road but a real a big open space with forest either side it was like tunnel vision of forest and I saw I actually saw a, a bull moose then and I went to squat down to take a shot but I had gloves on and, the, and I was taking my gloves off to take, to get ready on the rifle. And as soon as I put my face back down through the, like, on the stop and to look through the scope, he disappeared. Um, so I was like, oh. I was watching the spot for like the whole hour, wait to see if he would come back. Um, but the last drive is where I got my um, buck deer. And it was really funny. Like I mentioned earlier, the camaraderie amongst the group was awesome. And, and a lot of the boys took me under their wing and, um, were helping me out, and one of the guy, one of the Kiwi guys, Luke Care from NZ Hunter Magazine, he and I were on the last stands to, together, and you could it, you could see each other. It was the only time through the day where you could see the other stand, and I could see him, and you could see we were you know a fair way away, but we could still see each other. Um, and he had shot at a buck. Um, and I couldn't see the buck, so the shot actually spooked me. Um, and then I was kind of looking around, and and I kept hearing another rustling through, you know, a dense part of the trees. And I kept looking over there to to the left, and and then I heard clapping. And I looked over to Luke, and he was like clapping to get my attention, and was pointing to where he could see a buck. And he he was well within his right to shoot that animal himself and and take it for himself, but he wanted to give me the opportunity to shoot it. And he had no idea that I'd never even shot one. Like he didn't know any background or anything, but he was looking out for me. It was really nice. But the really sad part about that was, is I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I shot straight over the top of the back, basically, and the thing just like trundled off cross past me and like up the hill and I felt really awful because you know uh, he just you know allowed me to take that shot and I missed <laughs> <laughs> and he actually has it on film he was filming me um, <laughs> and he's like there's evidence <laughs> <laughs> but the cool thing was was um not 10 minutes later where that buck had run up the hill to I was looking up there and a heap of birds just took off and I'm going, okay, there's something up there. And I, another what, another buck had sort of made its way down from where the birds took off. And he was bigger than the first one that I'd taken a shot at. And I'm like, okay, I'm okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I'd missed uh, my first year and the other one was coming towards me and it did go into that thick forest area that um i was worried it would go into because obviously you can't see much but i could see the shadow just ever so slightly moving its way through 
and there was a very small ridge um, just on the edge of that little forest section and he just sort of made his way very slowly out and positioned himself perfectly atop this ridge <laughs> but he was um, like facing like a quarter facing um, oh okay uh, so which I've recently learned this week well last week doing my R license testing that that is one of the hardest shots to pull off on a deer <laughs> I didn't know this until last week, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> so I had enough time. It wasn't running, and I wasn't making the mistake twice to let poor Luke down. And so I crouched and, and took my shot, and he just dropped, kicked once, and that was it. Like, it was... And he was probably... He would have been over... Between 150, 200 metres away. Like, it was a decent, like, distance. Um, And I was like, okay, wow, I just just took a buck as well. And so it was a really cool experience because, like I said, Luke was taking care of me and he shot a lot of deer um, throughout his life. And we finished the drive. And it was only five minutes and and the drive was over. So, yeah, I got the last... um, buck of the day and we wandered over there and he was lovely because they couldn't find they couldn't find his buck they didn't know where he was trying to tell them where it had landed and and so they were off trying to find it in the meantime we wandered over to to mine and um we found it and I knew exactly where I could still see it um from my stand the whole time and he helped me like position it and get it into a nice um you know, layout or, or whatever, so we could get some really nice photos. Like, he, he knew exactly how to prop the head and, and fold the legs, and, and it was really helpful because I would have had no idea about, pardon the pun, <laughs> about um, what to do and how to capture a good a good shot of that. And that was the whole point. You know, we were there for a media and, and publications event um, is to not only learn about the new the new products, but to get some content as well. So he was lovely. He he helped me set it all up and and we celebrated and, and he kinda he gave me a big hug and and the, the really cool thing, um, there's a Finnish tradition that the guide that comes out of nowhere, I don't know where they hide, but they literally <laughs> just pop up out of nowhere. And, and they're like Hi <laughs> Um, and they take, they tear off a bit of the closest pine tree, um, and, you know, bless and like, sort of do a little ceremonial thing. They did this with my moose as well, and, um, they then put it in your pocket, and you wear it, like, it's a... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so, Hannes and I had, like, leaves coming out left, right, and (laughs) center. Just rubbing it in. Everybody else was doing it. Gemma's in a ghillie suit. (laughs) Walking around the bouquet. Yeah, Yeah, good practice for the wedding. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, That's spiky, too, by the way. You get the chin and it hurts. Anyway, so it was a really cool thing, and and, uh, props to all the guys that were there to help me, because... Without their support, I was very, you know, I was I was confident in my ability as a shooter, but not confident in the process and, and mm. understanding, you know, everything else around that, which is a lot to take in, especially when there's language barrier and 
different animal that you've never um, shot before. So, yeah, it was a really cool experience. And we then, you know, they wrapped up the day with a ceremony. They brought all the animals and they had, like, nice um, ceremonial fire barrels that were all engraved. And um, the hunt master kind of concluded the ceremony. And then, you know, we went and, and ate some of the, the kills for the day. So, yeah, so they asked me if I wanted to get my moose head mounted. <laughs> and I said to them, I do not have a big enough house for that. <laughs> <laughs> was was uh, was the, the the discussion with uh, the fiance before you left about whether you would be bringing these home? Like, no, this is, this is now outside the discussion, right? and it's thousands of dollars for the wedding no. planners. This is completely outside, but um, there was no mention on their part about the cost of this, which was very um, mm. hospitable of Seiko. Um, maybe I'll get the bill. I don't know. But I don't think so. I think they are kindly covering any, well, any of so that. So you said which, yes. So I said no to the moose because mm. it was a cow moose. And although I have a three-bedroom house in Sydney, I still don't think it's big enough. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're not really, although, you know, Michael and I both shoot and that's how we met and whatever, we don't really openly have that in our house. Our house is a very normal um you know, a normal house, it's just the one place in our life that isn't shooting related, I guess. Um, and so we don't have any mounts or anything at home at all. Um, but I did then have the offer of getting my, my buck um, mounted, either Euro mounted or, you know, the, the full head. Shoulder therapy. mount. Shoulder mount. Is what, thank you. I have no mm. idea what it's called. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I said to Clem, Clemente from Beretta, I said, Clem, I grabbed him. I was like, you've done this before. What's the normal thing? What's the traditional thing that they do in Europe? Because I don't want to be that, you know, tourist that goes against the normal cultural tradition. Um, so he just goes, normally they do a Euro mount. Um, mm. So I would pick that. So that's what I chose. So hopefully they reckon that'll come in April. So that will be an wow. exciting present. That'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I'd so, love to see a yeah. photo. We'll yes, definitely. Send one through. We can post up with the podcast as well. That's yeah. Um, that's, a, that's such a good story. Hey, I've got, a, yeah. I've got another question. I'm sure everyone's got heaps of questions. I want to go back, all the way back to the beginning. I wanted to shoot a question in there, but I didn't yeah. want to stop you either. Um, so you had all of these rules going around in your head. You're allowed to shoot this. You're allowed to shoot mm. that. So we got white tail. We got moose. We got foxes. We've got roebuck. Um, yeah. What was off the list? What what were you um, not allowed to shoot that was present in the forest or might have been? Uh, anything white. Of it, anything white. We actually saw a big white buck. I think it was a white oh, tail wow. white mm. buck as we drove in to the property. Everybody was against the bus window going, ooh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so anything white. But anything what about species-wise? Um... Because they've got, they've got wolves, don't they? And I don't think they have wolves that far south. Okay. I think there's wolves in Lapland, which is a mm. lot further up north. Um, okay. But there were... I saw a hare and um, some other people saw some hares and they were off limits. Um, hmm. Isn't that interesting? Which was very funny because Clemente, uh, he's Italian 
and Sammy, they partnered up from Beretta Australia and um, they actually didn't see a single animal all day and they were only two stands down from me all day and I saw six moose and three deer and they wow. saw nothing. Mm. And in the last drive, they saw the hare that I saw and Clemente, you could see him, you could hear him on the radio, comes on the radio and goes, um, hey, our hares, are we allowed to shoot those? And the hunter comes back and and he said no, and you could hear the Italian in Clemente go, but it's a, it's a rabbit, it's a hare, like, <laughs> you know, it goes against everything in my body. Um, but yeah, the poor buggers, they didn't see anything. But that we didn't see anything else um, okay. other than uh, that. Really so, the, my, I thought you might have said there were other species of deer that were off limits, and i just trying to imagine you going through all of this and what you can and can't do, and then trying to remember the difference between a white tail and, you know, whatever well, else, potential muley, whatever else was in the area. I don't know, I don't know what species are there, but I can just imagine trying yeah. to figure all of that out mm. and stay calm enough to, to go, okay, because in the moment that you're talking about, you know, this, this moose coming at you and it was moving and... You know, we're very, very easy just to say, I'm not sure, and watch it pass by. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which a couple of people did. Um, Cam Henderson from NZ, uh, the Hunter's Journal in New Zealand. Yeah. Great magazine, by the way. Um, well, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah, he saw something he wasn't sure of, and he that was the only animal he saw all day, and he, he didn't take the shot. So, um, but it is interesting you say that because we didn't see anything else, so I'm not sure if there's anything else in the area. But when, you know, he said you can shoot whitetail, you can shoot roe and fallow, I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what a roe deer looked like. Like, I had no idea at all. So the only one I was 100% confident on was a whitetail. Um, and so in my mind, I went, okay, I'm not even going to... Like, if it's not a whitetail, I'm not going to shoot it because I'm not 100% sure. Mm. Um, and that was just something I completely just ticked off, like, crossed off the list. And same with any calf or anything. Um, I just automatically went, I'm not comfortable with that just yet. So I'm not even going to worry about that. If I see something like that, I'm just going to let it walk past. Um so that was just a, a way for me to narrow down what I was comfortable and, and confident in identifying. Um, but yeah, it, it was, like I will admit, the only information we got before the hunt leading up was about moose. So they sent out an information about, you know, different positionings and, and where a good shot placement would be on a moose and all that. But there was nothing else sent out about anything else that we were allowed to shoot on the day. And it was questionable that we were even allowed to shoot anything else on the day. Nobody knew what the hunt master would say, like, on the day. Um, not even the Seiko guys. So, um, yeah, it was... I would have appreciated probably a little bit more info. And I actually, for my own purpose, recorded what he said um, with my phone. And it's funny you say that because just before I saw my moose, I went back through and very softly played the video to check... Just to refresh my memory, I was just sitting there enjoying the forest, and I was like, "Well, I'll just listen to again to what he said," because I was so concerned about doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd heard that sound to my right, and I put my phone down, grabbed the rifle again, and like looked looked right. And then as I was coming back left is when I saw the moose. So it was literally that sequence of events. I was like brushing up on my homework, like 
two seconds before <laughs> before I saw the moose. So, Unreal. Yeah, a little bit stressful. I would have. I did think that there would be a guide with us. Um, mm. And yeah, it, for for a new. <laughs> Sounds like Hunter. he might have been in the bushes just behind you. Literally, though, I, I, I radioed that I shot a cow moose and he literally pops up out of nowhere. And I'm going, were you there the whole time? Like, that's a little concerning. But the funny thing about the finish is they say very little and they're very blunt when they say something. So when anybody had come on the radio and said that they had missed and they know they'd missed, the Huntmaster would come back on the radio and go, okay, please try and be very, very accurate next time. <laughs> and we're all listening going, well, yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. And then, and then I was like, I hope that doesn't happen to me. And then, of course, it did. Later on in the day, I had to go on and say, yeah, like, confirmed miss. And there was a loss in translation. And he was like, was that a confirmed miss or, or a hit? And I said, I missed and um, so I had to like say it three times, and um, and then Luke, who's on the other stand, radioed and said, "This is stand whatever number can confirm that stand <laughs> missed." Just rubbing it in. <laughs> so everybody was sitting there just laughing, listening to the whole exchange, and then he comes on the radio and says, "Okay, try and be accurate." I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now these are these are normal radios. You haven't got headphones or anything. Um, so you're in some, stands. Most of the guys had headphones. Um, okay. I opted not to have a headset purely, and it, I knew it would be at a disadvantage to me because it meant noise around me. But I'm completely How? deaf in my right ear. Um, so if I have something in my good ear, then I have all, I lose all of my hearing senses, oh, wow. um, all situational awareness. So it's, it's a, a little bit of a hurdle for me, um, in that regard, in, in jobs and different bits and pieces when I've had radios in the past. So I just opted for just a normal radio sitting in my pocket, but turned down really, really low. And I just kind of like would put my ear to it mm. just to check, but Apparently it didn't matter because they were just popping out left, right, and center. Well, if you saw all the animals, it turns out yeah. that they were curious about the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good. That's a good takeaway for tonight. Wow. The boys were all joking all, all around the world. They were saying these animals might, might must like the Aussie accent. So mm-hmm. you know what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, so, it, was a, it was a good trip. And was that the was that a, a single day hunt or a multi day? Just a single day. There we go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it all just kind of one and done. Um, one and but done. But it was a great day, and we we did we got to eat some of some of what we got um, that night at, at the hunting club, which was stunning. Like all mm. of the places were stunning, and we we had lunch at the um, the their local hunters' cabin, and the cabin was incredible. Like. Um, and yeah, we had moose and deer stew and, you know, just like real traditional um, hunting tradi- like finished food. So mm. it's, it's really interesting. There was a lot of um, a lot of culture, a lot of ceremony, a lot of respect. A lot of tradition. Yeah. A lot of tradition. Beautiful. And yeah. it's really mm. interesting to hear that, you know, 40% of the Finnish population are hunters. So yeah. it's a big, big thing over there. Yeah. Um, and I think they were slightly impressed that 
the young Aussie blonde Aussie chicks from <laughs> from nowhere. Like got the first first one of the day. It was <laughs> it was it was a big talking point, but everyone was really excited and um, it was a nice thing. And and my dad. Um, so yeah, this is being recorded, so we're going to hold him to this. He did say that he'd try and get me like buy me the the rifle that I use to, to get my moose. So it's oh, serial serial number ten and they they can reckon they can oh, make it happen. The exact one. Yeah. <laughs> the the exact one. Yeah. And I was talking to Mika, who's the head of the rifle uh, R&D department over there, and he was like, absolutely. So I'm holding Mika to it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they can make that happen. That's it. I don't Part of me would obviously love that, but I can completely understand that if it's a prototype or whatever, then um, that's mm. that's pushing the limit, pushing the friendship. But it was it was a really cool. I had a carbon blued varmint model, um, and the, the the features on the 100 are phenomenal. They have the switch out barrel system. Um, you can actually remove the stock completely as well. Um, much like a shotgun stock, there's a big bolt at the back and you just unscrew it and it, the thing comes apart completely. Um, and the really cool part about the switch barrel system is the rail or the, the scope mount um, stays with the barrel, so you don't have to re-sight in any rifle. You can literally have the systems quickly switch Sounds out. Sounds really similar to the BRX, doesn't it, Mark? Yeah, well, there's yeah. probably some, yeah. yeah. I'm assuming it's a normal action, not a straight pull, though. Normal no, action. it is a normal bolt action, um, yeah. but it has that um, like hammer spring sort of system, mm. um, which is different to. Is it Blaza who do that? Is that what we're saying? No. Yeah, Blaza. Yeah, um, it is different to the Blaza system. Um, you'll see what I mean when you see it, um, but it's a similar concept, but but yeah, slightly different in its mechanism, but. Mm. Um, I really also love, you know, as a, as a female, we were talking last time that there's certain features within women who have, you know, higher cheekbones, so the distance mm. between our shoulder and our cheekbone is higher, and in their stocks they have a push-button um, adjustability, and mm. it's spring-loaded. So whatever shooting position you're in, and it's softly spring-loaded, like it's not going to come up and whack you in the face, um, <laughs> but it just lightly, you know, rises, and you, then you just release the button, and it stays in its position, like a wow. smooth system. And it was really, really good for me, um, to obviously shooting in different positions on stands and, you know, different um, physique and stuff. So... I really liked that. And it's also got a compartment in the stock for all the tools um, to change everything, you know, straight away. So it's all just just an incredible bit of kit. And the um, the stock itself being a carbon stock, like I'm a straight, like, through and through walnut gal. Like, I love, you know, a good wooden Expensive stock. Expensive taste. The shotgun, yep. That's the shotgun shooter in me. Like, it's, it's just something that um, I, I like and I like the feel of and I like, you know the way it feels when you shoot and all of that stuff. So I've always been a little funny about having like a carbon stock or, or a, um, you know, a, a non-walnut or non-wood stock. And the stocks that they have on these new rifles, they feel so... They don't feel tinny, like you tap them and there's no tink, 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 or um, there's, there's some real substance to it. And it feels soft, whatever coating that they've given it. And they've designed the coating so that it can be used, you know, in any 
kind of environment, whether it's icy, whether it's hot, and you've got sweaty hands or whatever, like it, it's a nice feel to it. It's kind of like a, a matte, um, like coating, and, it, and it's really, it's really nice. Like the, they've done a phenomenal job um, with the rifle entirely. I mean, at Seiko, they're renowned for that. Um, they do make a good bit of kit, but just everything. And, and hearing people like Mika. Who, mind you, looks about 25 years old, but I find out he's nearly double that. Something about the Finnish people all look like <laughs> 10, 15 years younger than they actually are. Um, just hearing Mika talk about it and, and hearing, you know, the thought that he's put in, him and his team have put into it, um, it's just incredible. And it feels like a very family, like a feel, the whole company feels like a family company. Um, they all love They love what they do. And they are complete geeks over it. And so, yeah, it was really incredible to being immersed in their knowledge and wow. just how they talk about their, their new products. So the whole thing, uh, the mm. hunter side, the whole thing was just incredible. So, yeah. Mm. Certainly <laughs> that, that, that switch barrel with, with the um, rail that sticks to it. So, you know, you just get two scopes and then you just plug it in. So you run a 308 and then... 9.3 or whatever it is, two different scopes, away you go. Mm. You can see yeah. that that would... Yeah, and I can see, you know, it's designed for a lot of people. Like, a lot of people around the world do a lot of mountain hunting and stuff like that, and, and having that versatility um, is is a big thing that they're, they're after now. Um, and the other cool thing was, obviously, we used their new blade ammunition, and all the animals that were shot, obviously, it, it travelled through them, but because of the way I shot my deer, um, I actually... And I want to do an article about the ammunition solely. And I said to Aki, the, the head of the ammo department there, I said, Aki, if you can get me that projectile from my deer, like, I will I will love you forever. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, I, I, I go to the hotel lobby the next morning and Clemente is gone, I've got a present for you. And um, they, they fished the, the projectile out. Oh, wow. Me, which was... Which was cool. So, like a really nice mushroom, um, all copper bullet with all copper projectile. Sorry, with mm. their green like um, ballistic tip on sort of it. Yeah. Tip. Yeah. Um, yeah. So wow. it it was really cool. And I, yeah, I kept the two cases as well. Mm. That um, did you have you weighed that projectile for the the weight retention or? Um, I haven't yet. I haven't. The I'll be honest. The projectile or the ammunition article is like last on on my list. I just want to. <laughs> I've got about four articles out of this at least out of this <laughs> this trip. So I, I'm keeping it here. Um, but yeah, I will weigh it. It is on my list to do. And they've given us a whole heap of info on on them. And yeah, so we've got a whole media kit basically um, to write about. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was it was a good good trip. Yeah, what's what's going to be Did you have on the rifle? Um, mm. it was a Steiner. What was it? Let me get. I took a photo. I could not remember for the life of me. Um, I'll have to let you know. But I did. I did take some photos of everything. Um, okay. Which I can share with you guys. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a. Definitely a Steiner. But yeah, um, I don't know if you'll be able to see, but this is on my phone. But this is TJ interviewing me at the hut um, just yeah. after I shot my moose. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there was there's some 
cool memories, and I'm, I'm waiting for a lot of those guys who had cameras on them um, to bring out some of their content. So it'll be exciting to to relive it all. Yeah. Cool. Amazing. That's awesome. You Thanks for sharing. That was great. That's a guy. That's a guy. I live vicariously through your story. <laughs> And now immortalized on the podcast. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. You can listen to it over and over. <laughs> so a question for you about that, that feeling about, you know, you said that when you got the moose and and, and it, it all kind of came to you that you'd been successful and all the stress beforehand. Do you, have you felt that or anything like that in other hunting situations or do you think that was it was just such a big event for you, that one? Um, in other hunting situations, no, I've not. Oh, no, I lie. It was the very first animal I shot. Um, I felt like that. Um, I was very young when that happened. My dad was there and he was obviously just making sure I was all good. Um, but we're not very young. I was 15, but that's, you know, that was early days for me in shooting. Um, but I have had that feeling in uh, the motorsport that I do when we've set when I set a land speed record, um, and you know you, you're holding your breath, you're hanging on, you're doing you know 390 kilometers an hour, and then you get to the end and it just completely dumps out of your system, and that it was literally the same feeling. Um, okay, so you, can't, you, you just can't you can't just you can't I saw the just speed drop record. that into a conversation. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> I was like, oh, oh no, 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 you just yeah. can't go. I've been oh, to and Finland. by the way, and I've done. <laughs> so okay, oh. three hundred and how many kilometers an hour? Sorry, so yeah, rough on cap, a push bike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, powered with Mentos and Pepsi. <laughs> no, yeah, no, um. Yeah, so my family, we do motorsport. My dad, you know, made hot rods and worked on various movies in car manufacturing, whatever. Anyway, so we do land speed racing. So, um, like, World's Fastest Indian, for anybody who's seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's what we do. And we have a purpose-built lake star, which is a fuel tank from a Canberra, Canberra bomb or Canberra warplane. So it's a yep. fuel tank from a Sabre, sorry, warplane. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have... I'm. Still currently the fastest Australian woman at uh, 243 miles an hour, which is 300 and, uh, I don't know, 87 or 90. And that's like what, a car or a... It's a car. She's yeah. riding a fuel tank, man, didn't you listen? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know if it's a two-wheel or a four-wheel fuel tank. It's a four-wheel thing. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so it's just got, um, you know, a 357 Chevy small block engine in it. And it's naturally aspirated, like no turbo or anything. Um, and the thing's just like a cigar, like it looks like a cigar shape. Um, yeah. So we do that. My dad's gone bang on 400 k's an hour. So he's done 250 miles an hour. Um, wow. My brother's done 247 and I've done 243. So and wow. my mum just sits there and like cries in the corner because all the fans. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> So, yeah, I did that when I was still on my P plates, actually. Um, <laughs> and I had my full life two weeks later. I know, it's ridiculous. My poor fiance, he just, like, he just hangs, he's along for the ride. He... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's um, right. Get... But, yeah. That's, you can just imagine going I don't do that anymore. Sorry. No, that's fine. Say, just imagine going for your driving test. And so, young lady, can you give us an idea of your experience? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. 
just hang on. My dad on. literally said to me, if you fail that test, you're not coming home. He's <laughs> 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 like, you just set a landscape record two weeks ago, and if you fail, yeah, you don't come home. <laughs> Imagine the driving instructor. <laughs> yeah. It was really funny, actually, because she did ask me this question. So I told her, and she was asking me all, she was really interested. She was asking me all these questions as I'm driving around my local suburb. And we get to the um, the registry, and she looks down at a clipboard, and she's completely forgotten to tick everything off because she was so engrossed in the story. Mm-hmm. Wow. So she just sat there and was like, "I think, yeah, we're, I think we're good." And just like tick 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 tick. tick. <laughs> <laughs> so. but I don't speed on the road because I get it all out once a year on the salt flats. So I'm a great. So where do you race? Uh, there's a lake, a salt lake called Lake Gander in South Australia. Um. And it's only once a year. And my brother and my dad did go, did take Carter Bonneville in 2012 in America. I was doing my HSC, so I couldn't go. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't do it anymore. I'm now on the committee. I'm, I'm done with flinging myself down a racetrack. <laughs> wow. But, yeah. That's a side segue. So, yes, I've had a similar feeling, but not exactly. Um, and go. it was a really cool thing because I made sure I captured it. So I actually have a video from that moment of like all the raw emotion and everything I felt. I just dumped it into my video. So it's probably going to be a lot of ugly crying and <laughs> gibberish, but um, it was a cool moment to capture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. it's interesting you say that because in a, in a very different way, but in a very similar way, I had the same kind of experience in... in Northern Territory when I took the first but well after I shot the two buffalo there was that very much mm. yeah there was a there was a very difficult to explain I'm sure you know exactly what I mean but there was this kind of processing going on mm-hmm. about it all mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely it was uh, yeah, went, yeah. Uh, they're big I, I, moments they're really yeah. big moments they are it, it, yeah. it, uh, there's a, a guy that I, I, I like to uh, chat to on um, Facebook and he, he he did this thing called being a, a memory hunter. And it's about you're actually... The activity is not the self. What you're looking for is that that point within the activity that that resonates with you. And I, I quite liked how you spoke about that because that's what it was, you know. Mm. I, I, can, I can remember that hunt, but I, that, there's a couple of points in that where, you know, that everything kind of hangs on. One was when when one was when the when I first smelt the buffalo. I, I can still you know I can still remember that smell, but afterwards yeah. afterwards it, yeah you know and it, and it's not just sight. It's these all these uh, you know I suppose uh, you know these triggers of your senses that you, mm. you know, that that lock into your brain. Yeah, and I really think it's something that um, people should talk about more. You know, if it does impact you, it's it doesn't mean that you're any less. You know, any less strong or um, you know emotionally capable or whatever. Like, if anything, um, you should speak about that, and you should like we should normalize that feeling because Mm. although that's yes, I knew exactly what I was doing, I knew exactly what I was going for, you know, on that day, and you know, I was hoping that that would be the outcome, but it still is an impactful moment, and Mm. it's still Mm. something you know that there's. There's not so much a sense of guilt. It's more a sense of, you know, thank you. Um, you know, you, you think, you know, I, I did. I thanked that animal for giving me that experience and, um, you know, for, you know, it's sacrifice, basically. Mm. Um, and, it, and it wasn't. It was emotional. I couldn't, I couldn't stop the emotion either. And, and Bruce, um, he's, 
from Seiko, he was there, uh, he's one of their marketing team guys, so he was there with the camera, and he actually has a photograph of me with my head in my hands, kneeling next to the animal, touching it for the first time. And it's such a powerful moment that triggers for me. The photo itself, there's nothing special about the photo, but that's probably one of my favourite photos of the trip, is capturing that moment. Um... And I kept apologizing for feeling that way and, and for crying. And and the the funny thing is, you know, I joke about the finish being so stoic, but the dog man who took me to see the animal, he you could see that he was impressed with my, you know, with my reaction. You, he, he, the, everybody was impressed that I did have that reaction because it means something. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what Mika said. Um, He's the guy from the head of R&D in Seiko, and he said that was my all-time favourite moment of the day and one of my favourite moments ever taking someone hunting is hearing your voice on the radio. Mm, um, mm. So it was it was a really cool thing. Um, and it definitely needs to be spoken about a lot more. So. Yeah, oh, look, I, I totally mm. agree. And I actually, I, I, I think it's... it's it's not. It's not a. You know. It's not a lessening. It's actually. I think. It's. It's. It's a sign that you're more aware. Mm. You know, yeah. You, you've. It's kind of like. It, it, you know. I don't want to get too philosophical. It's not an awakening, but it's certainly. I think you get this heightened awareness of what's actually happened and what. You, what part you've played in it, and. Mm. You know. It's. It's. Mm. Oh, okay. This is real. This is really, 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 really real. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. very grounding experience. It yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's like, anything. oh, okay, this is real. This is uh, yeah. this is what happened. I did all these kind of things, and it came to this, you know, conclusion. Yeah, and I, that's what I often describe hunting as. You know, that's what hunting is. It's you can. It's it's a year in a second. It's that compression of all that time. You kind of go, well, that's exactly what happened. Mm. It's um. You see, and you would have seen this when you've taken new people out as well. We um. Just with the, the volumes of people we've taken out over the years that have taken their first animals, you, you learn to to um, to recognise that this is happening, that they're processing it, and they're mm. trying to figure out. But because they're also with a, a bloke, and you know, maybe they don't want to release some of that. Mm. They're, they're, but mm. you know, you let them know it's okay, and yeah. you know, that's all part of that process. Mm. I remember, um, you remember Mark and Jono back in the early part of our podcast. We went to the Pilliga this time last year, or over Christmas, and I took a new hunter out with me um, to chase his first ever animal. Mm. And he'd spent mm. a lot of time at the range and going up through the calibers and trying to figure out what was going on. And as the story goes, we got up on the hill and um, we managed to, to he managed to take his first goat. Um, but immediately after he shot, I shot. Right, and. Um, I couldn't really figure out what was going on with him, like just after we after the shots were taken, and I congratulated him, and you know we had a had a, a a little bit of a chat, but you know I just sort of left him to to process it. But he was feeling like he was a bit more solemn than I expected him to be, and uh, as we we're walking down to the goat, um, he looks to his left and he said, "There's another one here." Uh-huh. I said, "Yeah, that's the one I shot." And the relief that came out of the guy. He thought I had to follow through on his animal because he didn't do it properly. And he felt terrible that he'd not managed to do the job properly and it suffered. wasn't the case at all. I just followed up on a different one. Um, But really interesting sometimes when you take other people out, you see this sort of stuff. And you're right, verbalising it is is really important. But 
also letting people have the time to process that with someone that they trust in the moment is it's pretty special and i love it as as much as i love the first demo i ever took um taking people to get their first one is is just incredible i love it it's the best yeah and and that that um that experience you know with luke i'll be forever indebted to him for what he did for me that day and and he, he for him that's something so small he's like oh i did you know i happily do this you know and he he left his and you know he wanted to go and see his buck but no he was there and he took me under his wing and and made mm. sure you know i had that moment and um yeah and it builds like you say you, you've got to trust these people and it certainly has built a connection like I have a connection with these people for the rest of my life just because of these moments. And they're only a very small moment, you know, in the span of our lives. But, um, yeah, it's important that you do, you have someone you trust and, and you speak about it because mm. that's part, that's like a huge part of the experience. Um, yeah. It is. Well, I suppose speaking of which leads us into what's happening next year, mm. which is Gemma. And myself and Joe, DPI Joe, uh, are going on a hunt down in, uh, towards Bathurst. And uh, that we've decided that Gemma is number one gun and we're, we're, we're going to do everything we can to um, put Gemma in front of some Aussie game, so goats and pigs. And if we're really, really lucky, see if we can get a deer. Yeah, that'll is, be Is this why you were doing your R licence course the other day? That's yes. Cool. Um, which yeah which means we'll actually be uh we'll be visiting a new certainly for me and for the podcast we'll be visiting a new forest so we'll have a new forest update which is pennsylvania which is one of the really popular forests around there around sydney so we've we're we've already got in our calendars when to start booking in because it is one of the ones that has a pretty uh, high level of uh, competition to get in there because it's a very good uh, has very good results for deer, but we're going to hunt private land and then move on to, uh, if the private land hunting goes well, move on to public land and see if we can we can locate a deer. Now, there is supposedly deer on the private, but the Joe feels that we'll probably do better on public for the deer, so we're going to go, um, we're going to try and do both over a, over a few days. Nice. Down at Bathurst, weather and, you know, cyclone and whatever... <laughs> COVID Mark 8 and all that kind of stuff permitting. <laughs> we're going to go out and see if we can, uh, see if we can get Gemma on a, on a goat and a pig. Though I have meant, I have said that if there, if a big bull appears, I may very well step up and take that <laughs> Step aside, Gemma, step aside. Just, just, uh, I won't be stepping aside. I'll have a bruised rib and elbow me out of the way. So are you taking the, the rifle builds or are you taking Seiko number 10? Oh, oh, wow. Rifle builds. <laughs> so we're <laughs> rifle builds. Oh, that was quick. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's, no, that's the whole talking. point. Is, um, yeah. Because I haven't had my rifle out, you know, on a property. I've only had it out at the range. So I said to Mark, let's just do it together and, um, yeah, do a hunt together with them. It's actually really interesting, Mark. I've, um, I was talking to my dad yesterday, and he went and shot um, a big state trial event down in Echuca on the weekend and it's a completely different discipline you know it's it's down the line it's clay target shooting 
And he said he had that many people come up and talk to him about my our rifle build stories. It was ridiculous. Right. And Dad was That's shocked awesome. because he, he still hasn't opened that edition of my magazine. But um... <laughs> <laughs> well, Who's shocked? Are you shocked that he was? Uh, that man needs to be outed. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, he goes, I've got some to do now, I guess. But, um, yeah, so he said a lot of people, and these are clay target shooters who, mm. you know, uh, it's a completely different area mm. of what we do. And so many people come up and speak to him about our, our Beretta rifle build stories. So... Um, that's a really cool little little thing. Um, yeah, especially well, it's so different. Scott uh, mentioned that he's actually someone rang up and said, "I want that rifle." Very uh, cool. A version mm. of mine. So they so uh, you know they're, they're actually putting together a second one. Um, but I think it's important to mention that yours was a very different build to mine. Yeah. And so it's a complete. So they're not, you know, been, they're not like a, a match pair or anything like that. You went from a, a very different approach, which I think was really important. In fact, because you know, all too often there's this idea that this is a hunting rifle, or and that is, you know, whereas you went for something that really suited your idea about what a hunting rifle was and what a what what a, what a general purpose rifle was. And I went my own way, and you know, so and but. Two very different concepts, really. So yours is a two four three, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. And you've gone a, a Boyd stock, which or was it was it a Boyd stock or a, yeah, a, a, it was the, the Boyd that one. Yeah, yeah, mm. which is um, lots of adjustability in it. Yeah, more suited for, for bench, you know, mm. shooting from a bench um, in that regard. But I I will say. Um, I, I went for the varmint barrel, but I got it fluted just to see how much that process would do in terms of, you know, weight reduction and performance and things like that. So, you know, obviously varmint's good if you're shooting a lot of rounds down at the range, but um, I also wanted it to yeah, have the opportunity to go and take it out on a hunt. And for a lot of women, I was obviously keeping a female in mind um, that might be a little bit too much weight for them. So... When I got the rifle, I was actually uh, surprised on, I guess, the very little difference it made, um, Mm. very little weight reduction Mm. it made. Um, Suitable for for me who, you know, I've I've been carrying guns for a long time, so I'm very used to the weight and it's probably not going to be too much of a huge issue. But it will be interesting to see how impactful that extra weight is out in the field in the middle of... Bathurst in mm, summer. In summer, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see about that. Otherwise, Mark, it might look good on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will never well, do that. I will never do that. It's my it's rifle. A, I will shoulder it. <laughs> well, it's a righty too, so I won't. I won't yeah. worry about it. So it's. Uh... Oh, I'm not talking about your shooting. I'm just talking yeah, about. Yeah, you're not carrying it. You strap it to his pack and push it on. If I'm carrying I'm, I'm tying it to the pack. That's where it's going to stay. I'm... No, no, I will What's never it? do that. No, it's, uh, it's mine. No. So my, my fault, my problem. But we'll see. I don't, it'll be interesting to see how, what impact that has. That's the big thing I want to take out of the hunt is, is whether that weight uh, was worth it. Yeah. Yeah, mm. well, it's, it's, an inter- you know, it's, a, it's a perennial question about weight and all that stuff and um 
I've never particularly worried about it, but I, I think um, you know the more I think about it, I think there is there is value in it, especially obviously if you're in a situation where it becomes hypercritical because the terrain you're covering and the kind of things you're doing. But I felt for most instances weight wasn't you know that what I wasn't in a situation where I'm pushing myself to the, to that point where weight became. More of a more of a more you know became an issue. So it'd be interesting to see that. Though that being said, I recently bought bought a pair of my first ever synthetic boots, and I must admit, the lightness of them is noticeable. As in, you kind of go, oh, this is very different. You know, um, the fact that they're just so much lighter than a, the traditional pair of full leather boots. So maybe there is, maybe there is really something to this, you know, very lightweight rifle stuff. Yeah. And I just wanted to, you know, I, I, another reason for that feature was to obviously highlight the, you know, the gunsmithing at, down at Beretta and see, because it is a, a fine line, you know, fluting somewhat, something, you know, after production or post-production is... There's a lot of engineering and a lot of thought that needs to go into that because, you know, you've got potential like, warping issues and, um, you know, if you go too far with stuff. So it's, it's a really, like, skillful thing to do post-production on a rifle and, and that was another reason why I chose to do that is not only for weight reduction but to, you know, being honest, test the boys down there at Beretta and see how, how good they are and they nailed it. Um, so it's more just up to me and seeing whether it, you know, it was worth worth the extra weight. Um, bearing in mind, it was mostly designed for prevent shooting, and a lot of it. Um, so that was that was a big reason for for that choice. And, and I'm assuming one of the reasons for that is because you do a lot of that introduction to shooting, and so you were looking mm. for something for that, which is I think worth mentioning as well that you're heavily involved in introducing new people to shooting. Yeah, that's that's the core passion of of my whole existence within the shooting community really um is is getting people into the sport because i got into shooting through a tri shooting event and um you know i grew up in an area where there was no shooting i didn't grow up around firearms or anything and it's i find it's a really um important tool and if done successfully and if successfully and thoughtfully it can get a lot more shooters uh into the fold so within the double um, we've been piloting a heap of try shooting events in all different formats and we've narrowed down the, I guess, the formula. Um, and it's, it's been, ver it's very successful. We had at the last try shooting event we had was at Coffs Harbour Branch, um, with Khadija and WSWA New South Wales. And they, um, we opened the bookings a month before the event and all, of the spots were taken within 25 hours. So Fabulous. That's awesome. It was insane. Um, and I did say to some of the, the core organisational crew, um, we need to be putting on more sessions, like just two sessions on a Saturday afternoon is going to book out really quick. And, and this is the first one I've done within New South Wales. Um, so they were a bit hesitant to see how popular they would be, particularly in a rural area like Coffs Harbour. And I, I, I literally, I said to one of them, I said, I will, I will bet my job on the fact that it's going to be booked out pretty quickly. Not knowing that it'd be booked out that quickly, but it was nice mm -hmm. to know that I was able to keep my job. <laughs> 
Um, and they were super successful days, and the branch did a fabulous job in, in running the event, and SSSA New South Wales are, are keen to roll that on and use, you know, myself and Khadija and Alison Walden, you know, a group of three females, and, and kind of kick it off within New South Wales. So it's exciting. Exciting times. Mm. So yeah. who were who you know what kind of people turned up for that? Um, I I do have the stats, but I I don't want to open my computer in case it fails again. But um, it was yeah, it was actually surprisingly uh, a lot of women. So it was nearly fifty fifty women and men, and um, I think there there was like fifteen to twenty percent of them were juniors as well. So um, obviously you know we're we're targeting. The smaller groups, you know, which are juniors and women, but we all know that, you know, a lot of men get women and juniors into the sport. So we wanted to keep it open to everyone um, with, obviously, you know, conversations around hosting, you know, ladies' days or junior days um, later on down the track. But, mm. um, yeah, it was it was a very good mix. Um, we had a small percentage were members already, but... Um, they were bringing someone, um, so that was that was a really good thing to to see, and it's it's always been very popular in, in Victoria. We had you know huge numbers of women and juniors turn up to these things, and and even people with disabilities and wheelchairs and all sorts of things. Like the sessions are open to everyone, and it's really good for the newcomers to see that um, because generally, just with the way the numbers are, if a lady rocked up to the range, they would be the only one then nine times out of ten so mm. it was really good to kind of group them all together and um have a bit of fun with it so yeah really fun and, days and what kind of or if any the idea of you know what's the outcome of those days is there an uptick in people joining or is it is is have you got any idea what happens post those kind of days yeah, so there's actually a really in-depth operational plan that I've developed for these these sorts of days. Um, and essentially, the plan is twofold. So there's option A and option B. A lot of branches and clubs traditionally have gone for option A, which is a big gala day style thing where they have hundreds of people come through, heaps of volunteers, and they sort of just filter people through. And those days traditionally, you know, are very popular, but the membership uptake or return on investment in terms of membership is fairly low. And there's a high volunteer burnout rate in those days because you need a lot of volunteers. Um, and they're a big thing to do. So most branches will, or places will do one a year and that's it. I'm more targeting option B, which is a individualized approach which can be which can be done you know once a quarter once every two months or once a month depending on how active the branch wants to be and they're very um specialized sort of targeted approach you have 20 25 people in the session maximum um sessions go for two hours only and there's a lot of science behind it a lot of numbers that i've crunched in terms of there's a threshold or a turning point where you will get a new shooter interested in membership um and it, the key is reaching that threshold, and then um, you know that, and that's done through careful session planning and careful placement of, of particular volunteers. And then the the big push is done afterwards. You know, I, I survey the attendees, I work with the branch on facilitating post event information sessions, or contacting them, or because they're a hot lead. It's basic sales, really, and, and we're not trying to sell anything, but it's a similar type of. Approach. You want to get them while they're hot and they're interested, 
and they're, they're fresh off the range. So I work with clubs from go to, and branches from go to woe. I help them setting it up. I help them with the marketing of it. We work out the session plan that um, is, creates the perfect recipe for their range and what they can offer. And then essentially these days only require, you know, five to six volunteers maximum. Um, and they're an easier, like they're easier to control. The sessions you can in, integrate more games and strategy and um, work with them. And the, the key is to get past that initial point where the person's worried about doing the wrong thing with the firearm and that mm. you want to get them enjoying shooting and comfortable and relaxed. And then you want to start introducing some strategy or some, you know, competition elements or, or something or some reactivity with, you know, silhouettes or clay targets or something. Um, and then once you get past that point, that's the threshold and they start feeling comfortable. They're not so worried about all the basic, you know, head on the stock and pull, you know, finger off the trigger and all those real basic things and they start to enjoy the sport. And then it's up to the range officer to answer any questions and it becomes a bit more of a conversation then on how to get into the sport and... So yeah, there's a mm. without you know going over hours and hours. There's a lot of um, strategy that we've thought into it, and it's a lot of testing and a lot of you know analytics and number crunching too to get get to that point and get the highest return on investment in terms of you know m- you know membership funds and volunteer hours and manpower um, in mm. these events to to get membership. Um, but mm. that's not to say that option A is a bad thing either. Option A is really good for those intangible seed planting moments. You know, um, you, you can't track that through membership, but it basically is a community engagement exercise and it just gets people onto a range, having a fun time, normalising the sport, and then, you know, no, they might not become a member straight away or a firearms licence person, like, with a, go and get a firearms licence, um, but they will talk about it with their friends and family, and then at least we're having a conversation within the community mm. about firearms and, and going mm. to the range. So there's there's a dual-pronged approach, and it's really good when they're combined, mm. so you do one big one a year, don't worry about the members you get out of it, but just listen to the conversation, um, and then you can do more uh, bespoke sort of tighter knit group ones, which will get you um, more members for sure. Out of it. So that is, in, in essence, what um, WSWA National have been doing in developing their tri-shooting event. Of course, some states have taken that. I've worked with them, and they've tweaked it a little and, and ran with it, um, which is what you can see at locally at some branches. Some branches are happy doing whatever they, you know, are already doing, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, my, you know, my door's always open. Email me, call me if if any branches are interested in in running these days, and I'll be there and and help you through it. So yeah, yeah that's that's, that's cool. my job in a nutshell. It's cool. awesome. Mm. It is. It's amazing. So we've um, basically made you talk all the way through this evening, <laughs> which has been Somebody a good else thing. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. I... <laughs> it's been a good thing to actually have a listen. So, uh, guys, any any questions? We're going to th- give. No, I I think I fired my really important ones as we were going, and I I, I, I kind of didn't want to pick up on another subject because what you've covered has been so awesome. Mm. I didn't want to dilute it with too much else, but um, no, I don't, Jono. Yourself. 
I don't have a question, but I've got to thank you. So, uh, Gemma, thank you for, from the last podcast, you gave us all those tips and tricks for traveling with firearms. Um, it really oh, can. <laughs> it went really well. Really, 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 really well. So for me, that's a big thank you. That was really, really informative and really helpful for us. We had um, pretty painless um, experience with traveling with firearms, and that's really from the advice that you gave. So thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> To follow on from that, the learning was actually to tell them you have firearms because they treat you as a as a problem then and they want to get you through the system really quickly. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. That's jump it, yeah. Cues, jump cues. You know, like you're, you're the squeaky wheel. So, okay. <laughs> so that's what we found. Oh, good. That's good. No oh, okay. Mm. Well, if that's about it, I think we might wrap it up for this evening. It's been mm. incredibly informative. Amazing. More the fact that, you know... Here we were, we're talking about, you know, hunting in Finland, but what we've discovered is that you're technically the fastest woman in the country. <laughs> I think that's... That, that's, that's that, sorry. And I, 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 I don't think I'll ever forget how you just simply dropped that dropped into conversation. The hard thing is, and without sounding like a bit of a, um, I don't know, a snob, but some people, I forget who do, like doesn't, doesn't know, because a lot of the time, if you just jump on Google and, you know, it'll come up. So some people who I have no idea would even have a clue about it know everything about it. And then sometimes there's situations like you guys where I thought I'd spoken to you about it and I just kind of drop it in there and you guys all go, hold up. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I've, I've seen a, a, as well executed drop of really important uh, stuff yeah. for yeah. some time. You know, some people kind of go, "Oh, yeah, just happened to do this, I happened to do that." You just go, oh, "It's happened to be the fastest mm. woman in this." Also, showed up three three podcast hosts uh, that have yeah. done zero research on the yeah, stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's. But, but we, I don't think we've ever under the illusion that we do any of this. No, so, so you've just confirmed that to everyone who listens. No, it's good. It's good. It's mm. a nice to have a clean slate sometimes because you walk into a situation mm. and people know more about you than you think, and you go, "Oh, okay." Well, <laughs> I, I like how you describe that. It's, it's good that we, we we're coming at this as a clean slate. I, I think that's a great. I'll take it. Yep. We'll take that. We'll take that as compliment. <laughs> so, thank you again very mm. much for uh, firstly being our, uh, our first return guest. It's as always, it's been a pleasure listening to, mm. and the you know your your take on the the moose hunt was um it was really. A, a great story. Looking forward to hunting with you with your good self early next year. Mm. So um, uh, again, thanks very much, and I'm sure we'll get you back again on some time to talk about something else that you do that is you know, world shattering <laughs> that you haven't mentioned yet. There's nothing else. I promise. Oh, it's <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh yeah, sure. There's still time. It's done. <laughs> We've done it. We've exhausted it. We're, we're finished up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank no you very worries. much. Really Thanks, good. Guys. Good. Okay, Christmas. guys. You, you too. too. Thank you See very much. Okay. Bye. Bye.